it is a wonderful a wonderment, Lord, that you know us, that you've redeemed us, and we know you. And we know you and love you because you first loved us. So, Lord, today, as your church, as your children, as you're redeemed, we praise you for who you are. And, and Lord, we acknowledge that you are God and you are our God. There is no other. Lord, we look to your mercies, for they are new today, and your grace that you have for us is truly amazing. We praise you, Lord, just like the psalmist, for your loving kindness. It's truly better than life. We acknowledge, Lord, that you are, you are God. You are infinite and eternal, yet you are with us. You fill all time and space. And Lord, you are the one who is the just. It is your standard of justice. You are the one who is the justifier. And you justify all those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, this morning we praise you for this season. Lord, nowhere do we see in your word that we are to remember the birth of Jesus or even to celebrate the birth of Jesus, yet we know it is fulfillment. You so love this world, you sent Christ into it. So we praise you for your love today. That as we think about that moment when Christ was born sinless, and yet what was ahead of them was Calvary. And because of Calvary, Lord, we are redeemed. Father, thank you. Lord, this morning as we come before you and know that you are holy in all your ways and that uh, sin separates us, Lord, as your church, we confess all our sins. And we acknowledge, Lord, it does. It separates us from you, it grieves you, and it is against you, for you are the holy God. So, Lord, please forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, for our wandering hearts uh, often, Lord, we, we seem to be in line with the world and not in line with you. God, have mercy, please, upon us. Make us to be a set-apart people, sanctified to you and for your work. We pray, Lord, you'd fill us with your spirit, that we would follow you and no other. Lord, lead us that way. Guide us that way. Cleanse us. Make us ready, Lord, for the good works you've set in front of us, each of us. Lord, we plead. As the psalmist pleads and cries out, we acknowledge, Lord, that you are the one, you are our God who hears and listens. You are the one who goes, Lord, uh, to our defense. Uh, we pray, Lord, this morning that you would be the one opening our eyes, that we would see our ears to hear your truth, that we would be reminded you are God, you are in control, even if the situation we're currently walking through seems like you're not with us. So we plead Revive us, Lord, revive us. As we see in, in the reading this morning, revive us according to your loving kindness. Revive us according to your ordinances. According to your word, your word is truth. Let our souls, Lord, be anchored to you. Father, we are thankful and grateful that your testimonies, your ordinances, they are forever. Just as the psalmist proclaims, they will not change for they are your testimonies. All your commandments are true. Lord, you are true, and you change not. And Father, we know that when your word says you love us, you will love us eternally, and that you are near your people. And we thank you, Lord, for uh, this time where we enjoy on the Lord's Day your special presence, that you are with us. You don't love us from a distance. You love us intimately. Father, thank you. 
And this morning, Lord, with that confidence that you receive us, that we can come into your throne room of grace because of Jesus, we pray for your church here in America and around the globe that we, Lord, each and every one of us would have a hunger and thirst for your righteousness, that we would seek first your kingdom, that we would be marked as those who are are, uh, focused and fixed upon our Lord, that we would pick up the cross and follow. We pray that you would revive your church according to your word. Bring us back, Lord, awaken us to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Awaken us to the realities of eternity. We pray, Lord, for our missionaries. Please make provision for them. We pray that you would strengthen our brothers and sisters around the globe who are suffering for the name of Jesus. That, Lord, we see it coming even on our own country. Prepare us that we would not deviate from our profession. But by your Spirit, make us bold. Let us be, Lord, as a congregation here, Faith Community Bible Church, let us be full of grace, full of love, Lord, for the lost, because they bear your image. Let us never be those who compromise, Lord, your word or or walk with the world, but let us be those who, who have a testimony that speaks of your goodness, that points to Jesus. Let us be those, Lord, that would have kingdom impact because, uh, Lord, we we proclaim the truth of your kingdom. We proclaim the truth of Jesus. So, Lord, let us be those who are impacting the culture. I pray for our nation and our state. Lord, we always want to bring them before you and our community leaders as your word instructs us to pray for them. We pray, Lord, you would turn their hearts towards what is just and what is right. And Lord, if they would not seek justice and righteousness, we pray that you would remove them. Give us leaders, Lord, who who are desiring and who will lead with those qualities of righteousness and justice. We pray over those who serve in our community. We think of our first responders, those in the medical field, those who, who work, Lord, to serve our community. We pray for strength, Lord, in our community over families. And for us this morning, Lord, we, we know that there are many in our, in our uh, fellowship this morning in need of a physical healing, so we look to you, pray that you would be moving upon us. We pray, Lord, for those this morning who are struggling, maybe in their walk or questioning it, I pray that you would open their eyes to the truth of your word. I pray, Lord, for those going through a, just difficulty in life, if it's financial or something else, Lord, be our provider. Let us be those who have a profound hope because you are God. And let us rest in your peace because your presence is with us. So Lord, embolden us today. Stand for you and no other. To speak your truth in love and never compromise it. To be fully saturated with grace. Love for the brethren. Love for your church. Love for one another. But may our unity always be around and under the authority of your word. Lord, thank you. We take time, Lord, as always, pray over the offering, every heart prepared to give. May it be a a cheerful heart, a heart of worship, a heart of gratitude, that you've redeemed us, that you did not withhold anything from us. We have Christ, not in part, but in whole, and you call us sons and daughters. So let our giving be an act of worship, praise to you, that all that we have is from you, just as your word instructs. What do we have that we not first receive? It's all from you. So, Lord, let us give a portion back. I pray you would bless it. 
to meet the needs of Faith Community Bible Church. Lord, that our, our focus and goal and desire would always be the proclamation of your word to see your kingdom grow. So Lord, to that end, we pray your blessing and we ask it all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, at this time, I'd like to dismiss the children to Children's Church. And for the rest of us young at heart, uh, please turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20 or uh, to Deuteronomy 5 if you're following the Moses' reiteration of the law. You're welcome to do that as well. But we're continuing to look at the great commandments. Now, it says, I know I point this out every week, it says number 10, but we're on number 8, because I just, you know, can't be that easy. We've got to make some type of difficulty for you, and um, there it is. We're on number 8, and it's titled, Don't Steal, so you know where we're going. Um, this is one of those uh, commandments, and I imagine the last few you've seen, if I was to ask that question, which, which is needed in our, in our society, in our culture I'd imagine you would have a hard time going with the last few, you know, do not commit adultery, do not, do not murder, those would be up there. And of course, this one would be up there as well, do not steal. You know, as, as, um, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to be marked out and different than the, than the culture, different than the world. And, you know, we can make a lot of jokes with that, some of us are just different, but I, what I mean by that is, that we are followers of Jesus, that, that his commands mean something to us. Uh, they're not just simply words in a book, and it's in Scripture, they're, they're near and dear to us, and we want to see them, uh, his commands burning bright on our hearts, and we want to be those who are marked out as, as Christians. And it's, it seems that it's, as we look upon our culture and the decay in our culture, that it's uh, it's kind of easier to be marked as Christians if we just simply follow the basics of God's Word. It's such a, a contrast now. Uh, in our society, we see uh, you know, the, the encouraging of, of stealing. Um, in some places in San Francisco and L.A., there's certain places you're allowed to steal up to $900 worth of merchandise, and there is no uh, prosecution coming from the law. Um, they just don't have the, the, the ability, the means to, to take care of that. We see uh, just a sliding in our culture. And here we come to this commandment, and the Lord uh, is telling us, quite simple, two words, don't steal, even though it's translated in a few words in our, in our text. We'll read it here in a moment. But it's, we're called in the little things and the big things to be those marked out as different. There was a story that <clears throat> Dwight Moody had shared back when he was uh, uh, leading his institute in the Moody Institute, and it was a story of a young man who was attending the institute, and he had hopped on a trolley, and by the time he got to his destination, the conductor had not come through and asked for the five cents necessary for that ride, and the, the gentleman hopped off the trolley, and he went to his classes. Later, as he thought about that, he thought, you know, I received the ride, I should go back and pay. Well, he remembered what the, the conductor looked like, and so he, on his own uh, uh, time and expense, he went back to find that conductor, found him, and said, here are the five cents. I don't want to pay. I, I, I got a ride. 
The conductor responded and said, you know, you're, you're a fool not to keep it. The young man said, no, I am not. I, I got the ride. I ought to have paid for it. The conductor again responded and said, well, it was my business to collect it. To which he responded and said, no, it was my business to hand it to you. <clears throat> the conductor responded and said, well, there's something different thinking about this young man who would go through what great lengths to, to come back and make sure that he paid his five cents. He said, are you one of those that, that attends that Bible Institute? To which he said, yes, I am. After some more exchanges, he had left. Sometime later, that conductor went to the Institute, sought that student out, asked him if he would come and start a Bible study in my house for me and my neighbors. So Dwight, no doubt, Moody was pleased. <clears throat> Something as small as five cents. Of course, there's inflation there. That'd be a lot more today, but you know, don't think of it just five pennies. But it marks us as a difference. We see, you know, one of the verses that I, <clears throat> I hope is growing in you is, is, is one that speaks of Joseph. When Potiphar's wife desired him, he said, I would not do this evil. I would not sin against my God. And I think that's, that's a, a verse for us that when we live our lives, I don't, I don't want to compromise the commands because I don't want to do this evil. I don't want to sin against my God. And we know we're going to struggle. We, we struggle with sin. We have those prayers of confession. We know we're, we're not going to always get it right. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. There's conflict and war there. But as we continue to fight, we see the goodness and grace of God. And as we struggle and he shapes us into the image of his son, even in these little things, we see that, that we are growing closer to him. So here is the command. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, verse 15, you shall not steal. Let me offer a brief prayer as we look a little deeper into this verse. Father, we again come to you, call upon your name. We ask that your spirit would be with us. Lord, we know that your commands uh, are both uh, outward and inward. There is a spiritual component to this. It speaks to, to many areas of our lives. So I pray your spirit would, would be guiding us and teaching us. And I pray that you get me out of the way, that we would receive what you have, and that we would grow in our confidence that as we, uh, Lord, obey your commandments, that we would uh, be loving you with all our heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and, and really, truly learn how to love our neighbors ourselves. So lead us that way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, and I mentioned uh, throughout this series, I have, have continued to say this, you're a set-apart person. You're to be a set-apart person. And uh, the commandments, no doubt, set us apart. We don't naturally want these things, but it is uh, our love and our spirit, right? The spirit of God dwelling in us that is desiring. I want to be obedient to God. I want to be obedient to his word. And we realize and learn that there is to be no rivalry. There's to be no gray area. There's to be no, ah, but let's, let's find some loopholes. There's to be none of this. Uh, we are to, to honor the Lord uh, with our complete loyalty. The first commandment. Have no other gods before him. We are to honor God in our thought life. Uh, not 
taking anything that, that is attached to his name to an idol or compromising who he is, whether that's physical or in our thoughts, we don't want to do that. Uh, we want to be honoring the Lord with our words, never taking his name in vain or, or cursing anything that represents God and his creation. And we also want to honor him with our time, not simply the seventh day that we, he gave us for rest, but the sixth that he gave us also to prepare for that rest. All seven, we want to honor him. So these are the vertical commands, right? This is how we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And as we pursue these things, we know that he is pleased. It's according to his word. As we see the, the, in the scripture reading, the statutes, the ordinances, the commands, they are forever. And now we are working on how do we love our neighbor as ourselves. Number one, uh, which is commandment five, we honor our, our father and mother. We, we give attention to the family. It's precious to the Lord. Children are to learn how to show respect in the family so they can show respect to the neighbors, to the community. And then number six, it's my favorite. I hope my neighbors hold dear near to this one. Do not commit murder. That's an important one. And number seven, do not commit adultery. Do not break the family. Don't buy into the world's systems or the world's currency, if you will. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. And the one we're looking at today is not to steal. I want you to notice here, as, as by way of introduction, that it's, it lacks specifics. God doesn't come down and say, don't steal certain things and other things are okay. Well, simply this points to a, a, a transcending of conditions, doesn't it? We know as we've been looking at these commandments, this is going to cover a wide range of things. And again, I could ask you this question. If in our community and with the unrest and the wickedness we see, which of these commandments do you think is the most needed? I don't know if we could come to that. I think we would just say we need them all. We look back at that moment where uh, the Ten Commandments were taken out of the schools. We see where we're at today. When it was taken out of the courthouses, we see where we're at today. So in this, you know, with the stealing, we see that this has become a very common, commonplace crime. Uh, to the point that if somebody steals something and there's no uh, you know, killing of a victim involved in that, uh, we refer to that as just common thief, right? He's a common thief. Like that just seems to downplay. Well, no one got killed, so he's just a common thief. But thievery, robbery, swindling, this is an epidemic in our society. And stealing, right, is, is uh, an element where it's uh, breaking down the foundation of society. How do we trust our neighbors? How do we, how do we live at night? Are we to be those who are on guard at all time, uh, and, you know, worrying about somebody who will come in and steal something? You know, we've gone from, and you hear about people talking about it, we used to go to sleep with the door open, the cars were unlocked, we didn't worry about it, and now we think that thought is just crazy. What's wrong with you? Uh, we lock this down and we see the cells of, of, of cameras around buildings, and uh, right, what does that tell us? Well, we have a problem with thievery. We see it, unfortunately, in our government leaders, the misuse of funds, we see it with employees, maybe theft of time, showing up late, taking off early. We see it in employers, maybe not having the right wages, 
fair price, so on. We see it in other areas of society. This is something that is all around us. And again, we're to be set apart people. We are to not disrespect property or human life. We, we want to be those who, who stand right for what is truth, what is right. But stealing leads more and more to lawlessness. And there is our problem. Certain counties of our state saying, you know what, let's just, we'll fight the thievery thing by allowing uh, you know, theft to happen only to a certain amount, a dollar amount. Well, do you think that's going to get better? Is that a better thing for our society? I would imagine, I hope you're saying, no, it gets worse. Whenever we compromise a little, there's always the next compromise that is expected. And so our society and simple things of thievery, and we're allowing it in certain areas, we are, we are uh, quickly moving into a lawless society. We're defunding the, the law enforcement to do anything about it. That seems like the wrong direction. And then there are those who are the victim of this. Whether they lose physical items or they lose uh, even life, there's always going to be a painful change that's irreversible. And people who, who still lose what their reputation, definitely before us, we look down upon them, and so does the Lord unless right, they repent. So we have a problem. So as we come to this commandment, what, is, what are some of the things, the Christian, what are we to understand and learn and to implement into our own lives that we would stand against the culture? Well, my first one is simply this. The commandment assumes ownership of property. Uh, right here we could, and I don't have it in my notes, but we could just jump from there and say we could shoot down socialism and, and uh, fascism and everything else. That says the government should own everything and you own nothing, which is a growing desire. But here, right here in this commandment, you shall not steal, assumes that you actually own something. Now we understand as Bible believers, as Christians, uh, we're truly not owning these things. We realize that we are trustees. God has entrusted to you your home and uh, your car and things such as that matter. But in the sense of, of living in society, we realize that we are stewards, we are the owners of these things. And as we look upon the ownership of property, we realize this is how God has designed us. God has made us to be working people. We are to work, we are to produce, we are to achieve, we are to accomplish, we are to possess. This is a God-given a desire in our hearts. We are to grow. There's nothing wrong with uh, seeing uh, the betterment of my family. We get to a point where we can afford uh, maybe a little bit of a bigger home or a nicer car. Those things are not uh, what is wrong. Uh, these desires are, are natural and normal. This is what God has given us to subdue the earth, to grow, to produce. This is, this is right and just. Sin, however, it turns that desire into something else. We see that, you know, just a little bit more is the, the answer to the question, you know, how much is enough? Ah, oh, just a little more. And if I can't get it legally, I'll go about things my own way. So we see, right, there is a, an element of legitimate. Uh, what has God given us to provide for your family as a home and these things? Well, he's given us uh, the desire to work. We should want to work. 
uh, that's the right way to go about this. We produce and produce things for our community and for our families. The illegitimate way is to simply not do anything that's called work and to steal it. Steal means, the word means to carry away. And it has the idea of to carry away by stealth. Right? So we want to do it without the consent I'm going to take my stuff from my neighbor here, or my neighbor's stuff, rather, without him knowing. That's stealing. So the commandment says, don't steal. Don't be a thief. Don't take things without permission. Now, normally we see this, and it involves um, a person's goods, right? Don't take their car. Don't take, right, whatever it might be. But it also includes kidnapping, This is the testimony of Joseph. He says in Genesis 40, verse 15, For I was, in fact, kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews. Now that becomes a greater sin, doesn't it? Stealing of a person. And so we begin to see, as God has given us this work ethic, we realize that his law is spiritual. Uh, These things just don't simply happen overnight. There is an element of thinking, of reasoning, of contemplating, of growing. There is something that that drives us to go, you know what, I can't afford that, but I want that. And here's how I'm going to get it. It's a heart problem. It's a slow fade. Stealing does this. The commandment speaks to this. Is there a desire, longing, right, for something that's not yours? Remember going back to the garden when Eve was acknowledging the tree did look good. That's a truth, true statement. Uh, the tree did produce knowledge. That's a true statement. The desire changed when she wanted to, to uh, be the one who was calling the shots and no longer the Lord. She was, in fact, desiring this. Her heart was changing. See, stealing begins with a passion. I need, I need that, a lust, an urge. As we'll see in the last commandment of coveting. So this is what James says in James 1, 14 and 15. He says, But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. I've got my eye on something. He says in verse 15, Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. There's the steps. Temptation, if not dealt with properly, is going to grow. It leads to something uh, that James says carries carries us away. It grows into uh, the activity of lusting. We can't stop thinking about this thing. And when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And James says, look, this leads to death. You better repent. So God has given us, the, but we see this problem throughout Scripture. If you go back to the garden again, what do we see Eve? Eve is, has, has looked upon the fruit. What is she doing when she, when she takes the fruit that God said no? She's stealing Can eat of all the fruit, not this fruit. She is stealing the fruit. This is, right, the tactic of the evil one. What do we see when during the exodus of all of God's people going into Jericho and they march around Jericho and the walls come down? There's this great victory and God says, do no plundering here. Don't take anything because I want you to realize I am your God. I will supply this. And what does the family of Achan do? They still... 
This led to uh, Israel being, uh, losing the next battle. And Joshua was scratching his head and thinking God did something wrong. For God tells them, no. There's sin in the camp. Think about the early church, foundation of the church. What do we see? This, this great movement. Peter has said, look, uh, you guys didn't take the hammer and nails, but you're guilty. You're just as guilty as murdering uh, Jesus upon that cross. And they say, Peter, what must we do? And he says, uh, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized in his name. Right? There is an awakening. The church is built. And people are selling their goods and coming together except Ananias and Sapphira. They sell, but they hold a portion back. We like that thought of running with everyone, keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah, we sold all our property, but they're lying about the amount. What are they doing? They're stealing. Peter asked the question, was it not in your, your care? Is it not yours? Why are you doing this? It's a problem. We see it throughout Scripture. So God's purpose here is that we would come and realize, right, that, that we are to protect one's property. It demands the ownership of property. We are to preserve, right, peace with our neighbor society. It does not belong to me. It belongs to them. Stealing causes a loss and sometimes a terrible loss to the victim. Of course, here is where you can have a lot of fun with atheists, right, who believe there's no such thing as morality, no such thing as right and wrong because that means there's a God outside of us, but when somebody steals from them, it's a new tune they're playing. All of a sudden they believe there's a moral code or some type of ethic out there. But see, God has set this in place. We are to observe, right, what we have and protect, right, those things, and yet we are to protect our neighbor, his things, and so on and so forth. Stealing always leads to Hard feelings or broken relationships, sometimes revenge, it leads to more lawlessness. So the commandment protects your personal right to your own property, your right to provide for your home, your family, your children, yourself, to secure enough foods, not look to the government, to help the poor, the suffering, and so on. This is why the Lord has given us this commandment. It necessitates work. It, it assumes ownership. It stands against communism. From there we see what it says in my second point is the commandment presupposes, and I'm just going to say a holistic Christian work ethic. We see going back to the fourth commandment that God worked. He worked six days and the seventh day he rested, right? We see the calling to work and the calling to rest. We are to be those who are to work. Right? We are those who have the six days and we map everything out. And on the seventh day we rest and we come and we worship the Lord. We also see that in Genesis chapter 2 that God gave a cultural mandate. You are to work. He took the man, he placed him in the garden to cultivate it and keep it. Now some of you are like, work, not work, anything but work. Yes, he's called us to work. And we're to have a Christian ethic in working. We're to be marked as those who show up on time, who work hard and do what the boss says, and at the end of the day, we punch out and go home, right, when it's time. That's who we are. We reflect that we are set apart people just by doing that. And that seems very simple, but you do that today, and your bosses will make sure you always have work because they can't find those people who will do that today. 
But after the fall, work becomes toilsome. Ecclesiastes 2, 22 and 23, listen to King Solomon. He says, For what does a man get in all his labor and in his striving with which he labors under the sun? Because all his days, his task is painful and, and grievous. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is vanity. Some of you feel that today, huh? Talk about work, you're like, yes, it's a task, it's painful. It always reminds me of the three guys, the three um, workers, the three kinds of workers. And you always see the three kinds of workers when, when a piano is to be moved. There's the guys that get back and push, I'll push. And then the other guys who say, I'll get up front, I'll pull and guide this. And then there's always the guy who says, I'll get, I'll get the piano bench. <laughs> I'll admit, I'm kind of that guy. I'll go to the bench first, beat everyone else. No. But work is it's necessary and it's beneficial as Christians. We're going to struggle with sin. We're going to have issues with coworkers. We're going to deal with those things, yes. But listen to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. He says, And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands, just as we commanded you, so that you will have, or excuse me, you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. There's a testimony attached to how you live. Christians are to work hard. In Proverbs 12, 27, we're not to be lazy. It says, a lazy man does not roast his prey. He's looking to his neighbor for prey. Can't give me something, right? But the precious possession of a man is diligence. Again, 2 Thessalonians 3.6, Paul uh, warns the Thessalonians uh, against idleness. He says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. Again, we see in those Thessalonians passages that there is an apostolic tradition how they have labored in front of the churches, how the church leaders are to be themselves an example, not to be a burden, but to work hard. So in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, we says, if anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. Of course, there we're not talking about those who are unable to work, but those who are able to work who will not work. So what do, what do we learn? What do we see through these verses? As God has called us and designed us, we see that the Christian work ethic, right, the right understanding of work is an antithesis to thievery. Paul says in Ephesians 4.28, He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor. you got to put him to work performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. So we like the idea that, hey, God is my provider. Yes, right? God provides for all the animals. He provides food for all the birds. But he doesn't drop that food into the bird's nest, does he? 
We are to go and to work. And we see this element of, of the change. We begin to see that there is one who used to steal, but he steals no longer because he becomes a laborer. And because he becomes a laborer, he becomes a value and a help to others. This is the fix to our problem in our culture. Stop stealing. Start working. So a Christian work ethic is not simply showing up on time, though it is, and working hard. It does do include that. It doesn't mean you know, leaving on time. Yes, it has all that, but it has so much more, doesn't it? We begin to see that this commandment mandates us as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, and mandates a lifestyle of generosity. We're not simply to work simply for our homes and for our, our own stuff. We're to help others in need. Labor replaces right, theft as a means of provision. It turns the theft into a benefactor. I'm no longer going to steal, but now I've positioned myself where I now can help others. Or this commandment is speaking to these elements that when I work, it's not just making ends, ends meet. I know sometimes there's seasons of life that we can't hardly find the ends to make them meet. I get that. But there's an element as, as, as we grow and mature, as the Lord blesses, that this needs to be part of our work ethic. I will look for those who are in need. The commandment also mandates some, some elements of justice, of, of mercy to others. We're not to be passive people, we're active people. We want to make sure that those in the body of church are, are cared for. Is someone going without? I may not be able to meet the whole need, but I want to do you a part of that. We saw that when Paul gave that instruction for the, for the offering of Jerusalem. Come together, let's meet this need. Because this is what John is saying in 1 John 3 16 and 17, listen to these words. He says, We know love by this, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? What is John saying? First and foremost, he's saying, when it comes to that moment of laying down your life, you lay down your life. You can't be passive in doing that. I believe John wholeheartedly believes that there might be a day, and no doubt in the early church there was many of these days, that you might be called upon to do this very thing, just as our Savior has done. But he goes on from this and says, look, do you, are you looking around? Are you looking at the body? Are you looking at other believers? Do you see those in need? Well, then you need to do something about it. He doesn't tell you to, do, uh, to take care of all of it. But he says, if you have means, if you have the world's goods, then be active. And don't be passive. See, this is our work ethic. Why do we labor? We produce. Why? So we can have resources. Why? So we can help others in the body of Christ. It's you. It's me. The commandment also mandates elements, right? If we're maintaining the law, well, then God wants us to bring all of that truth to bear. So in the narrow sense, what do we see? Listen to these scriptures. This, this commandment is speaking to uh, stealing of property, kidnapping or man-stealing. The Bible speaks about swindling. In Jeremiah and Amos, it talks about 
uh, stealing from widows and orphans as especially heinous. Jesus spoke to that. James spoke to defrauding employees in James 5. Isaiah spoke to land theft. Leviticus in the law of Deuteronomy spoke to unjust weights. But in the broader sense, right, Christian, as you work and you labor and you're becoming aware and you want to show mercy and grace, we have to realize that there's, in a broad sense, there is this element of stealing affection. We have to realize that there are false teachers who steal God's words, claim as their own, or claim as they speak for God. The Bible speaks as false teachers as thieves and robbers. We see in our Savior going through the temple court, the merchandisers, house of prayer. We see in Malachi and Joshua the robbing of God of tithes. Paul talks about of offerings in the New Testament. So our work ethic attaches to all of this, how we give, how we love, how we support, how we show that. If, if, if you know, being a thief, if we're robbing from God, then we can see right and understand that ultimately uh, this is sin against everything. We're, we're, we're taking and, and abusing right, our rights to do this if we're willing to, to and ultimately steal from the Lord. So work ethic is more, right? The Christian work ethic is more than just showing up to work on time. See, you are called to be a committed Christian. You're to fulfill your commitments. Romans 13, remember that you're under accountability. 1 Corinthians 3, you're to care for the poor and the weak. Romans 12, you're to learn how to handle times of, of, of much and times of little. And Philippians 4, you're to remember that God gets uh, the ultimate credit. Colossians 1, you're to be sure to care for your own family. 1 Timothy 5, you're to discern and to meet the needs of others around you. Titus 3, right? We're to view all these things over and over. This is what it means as we work. When the Lord says, don't steal, are you aware? Are you actively pursuing him and bringing to your own attention areas where you can be a help? That's a challenge for every single one of us, isn't it? But it opens our eyes. Too often as Americans, we have this closed, narrow sense. I'm an American. I, 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 have, you know, I was born with a machete in my hand, and I, I, I make my own path. I don't need anyone else's help. The body of Christ is not to function that way. So we see the commandment speaks to the ownership of property. God expects you to have, to be a trustee of things he's placed in your care. Uh, there is a holistic Christian work ethic, and this goes to my last uh, point simply here is, uh, well, it definitely naturally goes this way. We have to, to be responsible with how we handle money. God has entrusted to you this responsibility. Hey, take care of yourself, take care of your family, uh, be a part of your church, serve and give in your church uh, for the responsibilities of the state. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And uh, all these things have scripture references to them. This is what the Lord expects out of you. And in order to, to make sure that we do this correctly, we actually have to put some thought to how we use our resources. By way of example, listen to what Jesus said in Luke 14, 28. For which of you, uh, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Uh, 
Now, Jesus, in that context, is talking about the cost of discipleship, but clearly he thinks it's common knowledge that before we set out to build something, we'll sit down with and sharpen our pencils and get that piece of paper out because you can't do math without a pencil and write paper. That's how I learned it. And you have to you know, write it out and then abuse that eraser because you messed up along the way and rework it. But Jesus seems to think that. You're going to sit down and be wise and think about this. You're going to map this out and plan it. Think about the, the, the way Jesus wants us to be when he returns in Matthew 25, when he's talking about uh, the way in which he wants to see his slaves uh, when he returns as vigilant and diligent in the parable of the talents. Again, using investment, how we invest the master's money. Right? To those who, who invested it, he was good job, good, good service, well done. But the one who buried it in the ground didn't use the resources wisely that God had given him. He says, you wicked and lazy slave. So Jesus is pointing out, right, it's not simply that we have money, we, not simply that we want to take care of the, the family. Yes, he expects you to do all this, but we are to have resources that advance the kingdom of God. Uh, this is not our home. This is not where, where we're going to spend eternity. That is in heaven, and the Lord has blessed you for purposes to advance the kingdom of God. We can't do all of it. This is why he calls every single one of us to be a part of it. There needs to be in our thinking as Christians some, uh, some serious investment. Now the Lord it, it doesn't condemn. We don't see anywhere in Scripture where he says, uh, you know, I shouldn't spend money on relaxation or vacations or anything like that. There's nowhere that he says that. The Lord says these are good things. There's times when you, you need to unplug because you're wore out. This is why he's given us one day out of seven to rest. But we are to have in all our, our understanding, all our resources, we're to have a balanced concern for the future well-being and the growth of the church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, there are certain concerns that outweigh financial considerations. Listen to the words of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, in the parable of the rich fool. Listen to this. Jesus is teaching. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide my family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware. And be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. But he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have 
many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. See, there is, brothers and sisters, no sin in being wealthy or being rich. That is not the problem. The sin is when we're not rich towards God. See, in all your resources and all that you have and all the Lord has blessed you with, you have a responsibility. God expects you to take care of yourself to meet your needs. God expects you to take care of your family. We're to work hard. God expects you to take care of those in need as we discern those who are unable to work, who need assistance. Those in the body going through a difficult time, we are to help where we can. And God expects you to invest and see his kingdom advance through your resources, through your time, through your gifts, through your, your uh, proclaiming and living, through your work ethic as you demonstrate to others there is a king of kings and a lord of lords. So here's my question as we've worked through this. Have you in your heart been feeling that you yourself have been guilty of stealing? Well, then here's the answer for you this morning. If that is you, then God calls you to repent, change, turn from that, make restitution to those you've defrauded if that's the case. Pick up and start following the Lord. Remember the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus is walking through Jericho, and on one side of Jericho, he heals blind Bartimaeus, and uh, the people of Jericho are ecstatic, which they weren't at the start of that, but they wanted Jesus to stay there, and he wasn't going to stay. Jesus is heading to the Passion Week. He's heading to Jerusalem, and on the other side of Jericho, as they begin to realize that he is leaving, Jesus is leaving. And we see Zacchaeus, he's up in a tree, even though he's very wealthy and rich, and in their culture they would have made a way for him. They would have parted the ways for the rich to sit down because they were blessed of God. But uh, this rich man they hated. He was a tax collector. Some scholars believe that it's, it's, it's the realization of Jericho, the people there are finding this, this wee little man, maybe he was, I don't know, and he's in a tree and uh, most likely we're throwing some insults at him. Some scholars believe this is how Jesus most likely knew his name. And it's this scene, right, of the, the scum of the earth. He's up in a tree, if you will. We hate this guy, the tax collector. He's worse than the worst. Uh, because he is one who is a thief. And it's, this is what makes Jesus stop. This is what makes him stop, not only in this moment, but he stops in Jericho. Now, if you understand the culture, the city has probably had the best home available for a teacher of his uh, stature. Right? The best food was set. It was all ready. We want him to stay. We want to show. We're going to represent Jericho with the best we have. What does our Savior do? He, he stops and stays the night at a tax collector's house. You can imagine how these people thought. 
See, here's the point of it. Here's what you have to realize about our Savior. It doesn't matter the, 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 the brokenness of your life, the, the wretchedness of your life, the scum of the brokenness of your life, the train wreck I often use of your life. Christ is willing to walk into the middle of it and get dirty himself in the process of cleansing you. That's our Savior. When we learn these commands, I would imagine you, like me, are realizing, Lord, I've got a lot of work to do. I'm not following you as I should. I've got to do better in these areas. I've, I feel that tug here or this there, and yet I see in my Savior his willingness. In this scene, right, we have this, this guy who's working for the Romans. He sets the standard of the tax bracket. He's the one who calls the amount. He's getting rich off the back of his own countrymen. They can't stand him. He's the worst. No doubt he feels it in his own heart. But for some reason, I want to see this Savior. Maybe there's a glimpse of hope for me, and it's this Savior who stays in my house. He stays at yours, too. See, Jesus is willing. The power of the blood of Jesus Christ of Calvary right, cleanses not in part but in whole. And because of that, he has made us a set-apart people. If we've been stealing, then repent and steal no more. Engage in honest labor and seek to promote right, the good. Strive against the spirit of selfishness. How? By seeking the welfare of others. Get involved. Let me find where that needs at. Let me do something. Counter the lust of, of coveting. Why? Or how? By giving, right? Giving to a need. Get rid of those funds. Bless somebody. If our Savior was crucified between two thieves as the gift of salvation that is now ours, then let us live life right, to the best that we can that would not bring any dishonesty to him. Cultivate grace of contentment. How? By setting our affections on things above. This is not your home, brothers and sisters. Don't store up your resources here. Be rich towards God. He expects you to have ownership. He expects you to have things. He expects that. He expects you to be wise in how you use it. There was a revival that took place in Belfast in 1922 through 1923. And one of the outcomes, I, I mark this, one of the outcomes of the, those many souls coming to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ was the return of all these guys who worked at the shipyard. It was the return of the tools they had stolen. The command, be a follower of Christ. If you're, a, if you're a thief, then stop, start laboring. And this is what was happening. And it is said that when they brought back all the tools that had been stolen, they had to, they had to build extra storage. As this, right? It should mark us. If I steal, I'm going to steal no more. See, the commandment assumes, the Lord assumes you have property. Be a good steward of those resources. It presupposes that you have a holistic Christian ethic. I'm going to work hard at my job, and I'm going to be aware of to extend grace and mercy and justice to where I can. It also mandates that you would use your resources wisely because you too are a part of the kingdom of God, and your desire 
as a Christian is to see others come to know the Lord and Savior, right, as their own. See, at the beginning, at the beginning, I shared that illustration when the conductor said, it should, it's my business to collect it, and his response was, no, it's my business, right, to make sure it's in your hand. That's the Christian. It's our business, right, to be about the Lord's work and to use the resources that if we still, we would do it no more. That he would bring glory to himself and his church and that we would be a people that is radically different, radically different than the world. We're going to close by singing this song, and I, I, I pray it resonates in you. It's this song that says, My worth is not in what I own. I want to draw your attention as the song points us to Calvary, it points us to the cross. The last stanza says these words. Two wonders here that I confess, my worth and my unworthiness. My value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and grace, your patience, your love.